0: What is it that you would think makes this play a classic?
1: I think this play is like just a great exploration of the absurdity and the humor in finding love, and I think that's why the play should always be produced. This is our history. This is our.
0: Hello. Hello, and welcome to This Is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. I'm Emily Lyon, she, her, the artistic director of Hedgepig Ensemble and a curator of Expand the Canon.
2: And I'm Gagarin, they, them. I am an ensemble member and a fellow curator for Expand the Canon at Hedgepig.
0: And today we also have an exciting guest. We are joined by Kathleen Captisuner, who is directing one of the plays on the Expand the Canon list this summer at Repertorio Español. Kathleen, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you came to directing.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on this podcast. My name is Kathleen Captasuner, She, her, yeah in español. I am a first-generation Cuban-American director and producer. I grew up in Kissimmee, Florida. I like to say Mickey's armpit, about 10 minutes away (laughs) from Walt Disney World. Um, And so that's a big part of my identity and the work that I'm really passionate about creating. I direct a lot of new works. I direct reimagined classics in a way that makes us feel like they're new works. And so for me, it's about finding an entryway into the work and then how can we make it relevant and resonate with modern day. I went to a public arts performing high school. It was nothing like high school musical or fame. <laughs> but what we did have was a really great sense of wanting to work with each other. And we we were very creative and we wanted to create work. Luckily, there was a directing one class that I got to take. And that was when it clicked for me. And it was just something that felt very instinctual for me. This is a little dated, but I did the complete works of William Shakespeare, Bridged. And it was a play I was very excited about because similar to the play I'm directing in Repertorio Español, it took all these classic plays and made it much more approachable, if I'm being honest, especially in a community where we were all working class immigrant families. We're like, you don't really go to the theater, you know? And so it was such a gift to have a school like that in my formative years. I'm just very passionate about creating work that, that feels very accessible in all the ways. And so that's also what's led me to directing work in Spanish and English. And in languages, I don't even speak. If I can bring more people into the theater and create a sense of belonging or conversation, that's, I feel like I'm doing a good job.
0: Hell yeah. Fantastic. And so fitting, like exciting for classic work and these expand the canon plays. I, I, It's always fun to hear how many people have kind of, and I know that we have a very select group of people that we're talking to typically, but the number of people who are like, yeah, I came through Shakespeare to theater, and now there's more I want to do. So you are most certainly in the right place, or we've invited you to the right place, I guess, really. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about this particular play. So this summer, you're directing Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz's Los Empeños de Una Casa, or as some might know it by one of the English title translations, House of Desires. This play is on our 2020 list, so you can head back a few seasons to hear all about it. Uh, but for the highlights, we summarized the play this way.
2: So if you wish, Twelfth Night's Love Triangle was a love octagon. Meet this passionate and thrilling comedy, House of Desires is a romantic farce about two siblings involved in a variety of romantic entanglements. Lock everyone in the same house, sometimes turn off the lights, and watch the sparks and antics ensue. Originally written in Spanish, it is a wonderfully witty comedy of errors full of clear-sighted female protagonists, clever servants, and the folly of
0: ambitious men. Thank you, Karen. I love this play so much. Uh, And I'm so curious, how did you find this play, Kathleen? And what do you love about it?
1: First of all, that is a great summary of this play. Uh, Love Octagon. I will have to take that (laughs) because when I try to explain this play to people, it's like it's more than a love triangle. Um, So definitely Octagon feels right. So actually, I am a directing fellow at Repertorio Español. And the first year you get to direct a contemporary piece. And I actually did Maria Irene Fornez play was the first time that that play was being produced. And that was really incredible to bring her work to life in Spanish. And for your second year of the fellowship, you have to direct a Spanish golden age text. And I was always very interested in directing Sor Juana's work. And with being the first person to produce Fornez's work at Repertorio, which is such a incredible institution for Spanish-speaking audiences, and honestly, the New York and larger community, I wanted to find another play that they haven't produced. And just to give some context, Repetorio Español is a real repertory theater, which means that they're doing multiple plays at once. Like, they might do a play for three days of the week, change the set the morning of, and then put another play that night, and they do it that weekend, and so they have a variety of different plays that they do in their season, and some plays have ran for like 20 plus years. And so um, even though my fellowship show runs for a limited amount of time this summer as part of it feels like a, a festival to, to a certain degree, I wanted to produce another play that they have not done. And this was one of the plays. And I was like, wait, what? Which is the same reaction I had when they hadn't done Fornes. And similarly to this, this was another play that they had on their list um, and they were very excited about, but no one has has done. And so for me, it's also very important to try to bring work of, you know, women and female identifying folks and, and bringing that work into the canon and, and you know, approaching it in my own way. So. For me, (laughs) my mind immediately went to reality TV and how in reality TV, the stakes feel so high. Mm -hmm. Everyone is so committed to it. And I'm very interested in where does the truth lie? Right, and mm-hmm. so that's the lens that I'm using to explore this play. It's going to be conceived within the reality TV scope, and so we're going to have live video cameras, and we're going to play around with how can we make it resonate today. And so, growing up watching telenovelas, you know, watching um, a lot of reality TV, I just thought this is something that I would love to explore, and everyone is very excited about. And I think. Placing it in a reality TV lens, I'm I'm so fascinated by reality TV, because I feel like it's such a great character study. When Love is Blind came out, I was so intrigued by it. Like, people are doing this, how, why, how can you just like give yourself to something? There's something really wholesome about it, like, especially just the first season, because no one was famous. And that's kind of what I'm interested in exploring with this play. How can we explore people trying to find love in a very genuine way with very kooky and heightened stakes that society imposes and also they impose on themselves? Essentially, I want to take this play that is so funny and so witty and kind of bring it to the modern day.
2: No, absolutely. Well, you're speaking my language in a very, very big way right now, Kathleen. I love, love reality TV. I'm a big, I'm mostly like a Real Housewives kind of fan, if I'm going to be totally honest with everyone here, but I am a very big um, Love Island, like early seasons watcher. I totally hear you on that. Because also, especially when we're talking about like women going after what they want, especially when you're watching those earlier seasons of reality TV and like it's just these people trapped in a house together trying to find love. It's that same thing where nobody can really say what they want, but... Their wants and their needs are nakedly laid before us as the audience because we're like, I know, I know exactly who you are. And I think especially like yeah, within this play already, we have so many of those kinds of archetypes that you see in these like houses, like especially like, I don't know, how many times in Love Island have they made um like a comparison to Don Juan with some of the with some of the guys when they <laughs> roll in there. I like you think I'm joking, but they seriously have done this. This is like really really exciting that I think you're you're picking up on something in this play that is not only relevant to the modern day but also relevant to the piece in the text.
1: Absolutely. And and thank you for that. Every person I talk to has their own entry point into reality TV as well, right? Even if they don't really watch it. Everyone knows at least some of the iconic reality tv shows it's
2: it's in our culture you can't not know about reality tv in the us
1: exactly and that's what i love about the play because the play was done over 3 days it was a huge festival it was done for royalty right and it was for the masses to a certain degree and i feel like reality tv whether we like it or not is for the masses it is something that is culturally embedded in us so that's also an angle i'm trying to play with is like how can i really make the play accessible in that way right where someone can go oh i i know reality tv oh but Spanish class, you know, golden age text, I'll, I'll, I won't i will get scared by that, right? I also think that since it's being presented in Spanish, um, which is so beautiful, but you know, I'm just trying to think of like, how can I bring all the people in my life to come see the show? And how can I bring like a larger community to this? And just like the folks that are like, really committed to repertorio season as well. And so I think this is like a really interesting tension to be playing with of like, how do I honor the text and what it's what it did it back in the day? And like, how can I make it relevant mm. and, and resonate today?
2: But I'm curious about how your process with this has been so far. We know that we can be expecting some cameras and all that other kind of stuff, but I'm curious about how you're going to approach this from a directly like process with your actors.
1: So for me, I had the idea and then I was like, okay, now- now I have to start getting into it, um, which I love. But I have an incredible associate director and assistant director, and they both are Spanish speakers and they both are passionate about classical plays. And so it's been a lot of the three of us kind of being like, OK, how could we do this? And, you know, one of them, she did her thesis on classical text. And so it's nice to have someone with a similar perspective on on how to approach classical text in this way, because the big thing is I don't want to lose the The beauty of the play, either.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: I've made a few cuts because what we're playing with is having a confessional room, and how can we use some of the monologues to serve in the context of reality TV, where it can live in a confessional. For me, I love I love this kind of challenge. As I get into it, I'm like, oh, this is a little bit more devising than I anticipated. If there's a plot hole, we might have to fill something in. I'm not hoping to create a lot of additional moments that aren't in the original text, but because this concept is in modern day, we may have to do a few things to, you know, bring in that concept more cohesively. It's awesome. And I'm, I'm excited to see what I'm going to learn. It's just one big experiment.
2: Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, using asides as confessionals for theatrical devices, I don't know. I'm like, frankly, getting really, really excited to come see this already. I'm like, I want to know what the confessionals
0: look like. That's so smart. Thank you. You're welcome. I would love to hear, you know, you say you were immediately drawn to this play and that you've wanted to do Sor Juana's work for a little while. Um, What is it that you would think makes this play a classic?
1: Mm, So many things. But, you know, Sor Juana was the first Latina playwright. So that's very important to me. One, the legacy of a writer. I'm very Drawn to Fornez's work for many reasons, but one of them is I feel to a certain degree a duty as a Latina to honor the greats that didn't get their time. And so I think this is a play that has been slept on for a while. I know it's been produced a lot, but like it's still something that people are catching on to, and it feels exciting to kind of be in some ways leading, you know, what the production history of a play like this can be. And then the other thing is just it's really funny. It's really just a fun, heightened. Play And when I say high in the stakes just feel so high. And I feel like life just feels like that sometimes. And if we can laugh at ourselves, if we can look at ourselves and be like, wow, love, like there's a line that in translated in English is like, love is blind. And I'm like, whoa. Like, I, I know it sounds silly. It's a very used phrase, but just to like see the translation of that and have that be something that someone discovered so long ago is like, oh, this is a, a universal thing. Everyone wants to try to find love and everyone wants something, right? They want to feel special. They want attention, whatever it is. And I think this play is like just a great exploration of like what does the absurdity and the humor in finding love. And I I, I think that's why the play should always be produced. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Sometimes if if you don't cry, you have to laugh um, about finding love. Yeah. Here we are. Ha ha. I'm revealing too much. <laughs> but tra- I'm curious. You were talking about, you know, some of the translations. But of course, Repetorio will be doing it in the original Spanish with some cuts and, and shifts. We, in a previous season, had a conversation with Catherine Boyle, who translated one of our favorite versions of this play, House of Desires. Um, So I'm curious if you know who did the translations for subtitles, uh, Repertorio, and also, you know, I don't know how many translations you've read, uh, but do you have a sense of, you know, what, what might be missed in translations of this original Golden Age classic?
1: Yeah, so actually, we took the original Spanish text, and then we actually used Catherine Boyle's translation, and kind of looked at both. And so that's really what we're using at the moment. As we go through the process, we're looking at different translations, but that's kind of been the main one. It's a great translation. And it's hard to translate Spanish into English because Spanish is such a romantic and lush language, right? And so some of these monologues in Spanish and the actors are incredible. The thing that gets lost is is just some of the romance, in my opinion, in the language, right? But I think Catherine's done a really good job in capturing like all the important beats of the play, um, making it a really accessible translation because the original does have very long monologues where they are really embellishing on how they feel and their journey. And she just writes so fully, right? And I think that in modern day, we don't speak as grandly. And so I think Catherine's translation does a really good job of keeping that romance within the language and that poetry that she's crafted, but keeping it a little bit more precise because there are some details that are like beautiful, but at the same time, maybe we don't need to know that she felt sad on the third day of June. I'm not sure, you know, so it's, (laughs) Not against that. You know, I want to hear everything, but I think that she's done a good job streamlining it.
0: That's awesome. Not to brag, but it feels very full circle. We've um, obviously we're delighted to talk to you and you and I have been chatting about this project for a little bit. We've talked to Catherine Boyle, did a loose canon reading with Repetorio. So it's really joyful that like we are in the background. We're cheering from this production from all sides. Facts.
1: Yeah. And it's cool to just hear the more people that I talk to about this play they're like, oh, Sor I've been hearing about that. Oh yeah. You know? And so it feels like yeah, it's similar to how like everyone started producing fornez I think we're about to hit that hopefully. Um, so it, it's just a, a really exciting time. And, um, I'm just really grateful that there is such support from y'all and like everyone I talk to is so excited about it. And, um, I think that it's going to be a fun time regardless.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, how can we get people's butts in seats to see this experiment? Where should people go? What's the link?
1: Yes, you can go to repertorio.nyc and it'll show like all the productions. You just click on mine. It's running for two weekends in July. And so you just buy tickets there. Which days in July? July 14th through the 16th. And then July 22nd and 23rd. Can we have you say that one more time? Yeah. It is running July 14th through the 16th and July 22nd through the 23rd at Repertorio Espanol.
2: Amazing. So be bop your ass on Uptown.
1: (laughs) You heard it here.
2: (laughs) At
0: the Louvain Villa, recently relocated. That's right. To the
2: Repertorio Theater. And
0: also, I think the other two plays um, in the festival are by Golden Age women as well, right? The other one, one of them is Sor Juana's poetry or or something. Could you tell us a little more about that?
1: Yeah. So there's three fellows. I'm one of them. And we all just gravitated towards doing work of women at this time. And so I'm doing Sor Juana's play. My other colleague is doing an interpretive piece of all of her poetry, um, so that's really exciting. And also just to see a little bit more of all the work that Sor Juana did in different ways. And then, yeah, the other fellow is doing another play by a uh, woman playwright.
2: That is so cool. It's funny, actually, a um, bit of a sneak peek for upcoming rest of Hedge Pig stuff. But I recently read a play about Sor Juana's life as part of uh, like prepping for next year's list. And it was a fascinating piece. I mean, I had through my work with Hedge Pig, I've like known that Sor Juana was a gal, and I've like read I've read House of Desires and some of her other stuff. But then actually, like getting to read this little dramatization of her life, I was truly like, Oh my God, this woman lived such a full life, but obviously also just had such a gift, had such a gift that just had to flow out of her and come into the world. But it still is like incredible that you could just spin this kind of a gorgeous yarn for two and three pages. and if we had the audiences that were ga- down to come see three, four hour plays, we would let them all rip the whole way through.
1: For sure. And I think there's something about, I'm very fascinated by her life too. And I think about which of these characters are, you know, carry her spirit. Ooh, yeah. And her sense of being unapologetically yourself in a world where it's still hard to do that. Right. So Yeah. She's badass
0: totally badass but I feel yes. like
1: all the all the writers y'all are uh, highlighting are so <laughs> and people didn't know what to do with her right she was this super smart woman she didn't care she used her place to also make fun of the other male contemporaries of the time as well and she also if I'm not mistaken, she wanted to be in a nunnery or she oh, yeah. was in a nunnery. And that's also where she wrote a lot of things because she realized society is not going to serve me the way I want to. So I'm not sure the details of that, but you know, she was one of those women.
0: You can go back to our, uh, house's desires episode in season one and hear a little more about her bio plug for, for everyone. But yes, no, it is super fascinating. She absolutely was a nun and, um, as as might be noted in her poetry, um still had quite an interesting personal life. So yeah, definitely. Um I also was working on a play about um Rosefied, who is one of the first known female playwrights and also was in a nunnery, because I think that's just where you go if you don't want to get married and have to do all the all the annoying social things. Yeah, the other yeah, stuff. let's put it that way in a world yeah. of, of hierarchy <laughs> or no other options. But yeah, she's an amazing woman, and we're so glad that you are continue to uh, solidify her place in the canon, as we all should.
2: Um, but speaking of the canon, you're out here expanding it, getting of desires out into the world. Why do you think that's important? What is the importance of expanding our knowledge around this stuff and, you know why should we do these plays?
1: One, they're very good. (laughs) They're great plays.
2: Part one, it's good.
1: It's good. Regardless, as I said before, it's part of history, you know, and it's important for us to honor those who came before us and and to learn from them and and give space for work that could not be done back then. What I love about what y'all do is that y'all help us find a way to to easily access that, right? I think that's a big thing too, is like classical texts, if I'm being very honest, felt very inaccessible for me for a long time. And I would read it in school, you know, language arts, we would have to sit there and listen to it. And it was fun, but it it wasn't something that personally felt connected to my life experiences. And so I really carry that. And I think about, okay, if I'm doing a classic play, can I do it in a way that like my parents would understand? you know, uh, immigrants from Cuba, you know, the people I grew up with who like entertainment for them is watching Netflix and there's nothing wrong with that. But how can we, I think it's very important to bring these plays to life and to give them the space and and honoring them because they were important plays at that time. And now we're able to even really receive those plays, I think. Um, and my job, I feel, and and what I'm interested in doing is like how we do that, right? And how we can make it resonate and and feel like something anyone can watch. And laughter is universal. I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's like, this play is so funny. And I think there's a lot of classical plays that like the women that were writing them were so witty and so ahead of their time. And I think if we can just kind of break down that wall of like, oh, it's a classical play in Spanish. Ooh, in the 17th century. Ooh, I don't know if that's for me. And like kind of chip at that and say, no, 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 it's for you. Come, come watch it. Then yeah. it, it it plants that seed, right? Um, in the same way Netflix does. Like, really, you 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 pick a movie and then it'll recommend some other ones, right? And so I think hopefully you know it's someone experiencing Sawana and they're like. Oh, so someone else is doing Sor I can experience that, you know, because the first time I did is, was incredible. For me, the first production I ever did, I acted in was a Midsummer Night's Dream in middle school. And the director of it, she was my middle school teacher at the time. She took 60 public school kids who never thought they could be in a production like that. Right. And she made it something that we could enter and be ourselves in. And so I think that's just, it's just very important to have space for that.
2: Hell yeah, Absolutely.
0: I also keep thinking about one of the opportunities theater has or gives is like the ability to have a conversation with your community and practicing, like getting clear on who is your community. I think it's really exciting to be like, this is a play for the Spanish speaking and non-Spanish speaking community here. Really excited you're bringing this work to to our community
2: here
1: in New York. Thank you.
2: Yeah. It's important work, especially to be able to like build and grow that community especially a reality tv like spin in a way that is really relevant and works well with this play that's like one of those things where it's like it's a 17th century golden age spanish play i don't really and then it's like but it's also come on no, no 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 you like love island it's the same thing and then it's like oh okay maybe i can get on board with this and it's
1: good yeah um, can I use you to market this play? Yes, I'm just gonna have have that sound clip and just play it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Please do.
2: I'll straight up be a barker outside of the outside of the theater. I'll just you know, I'll just grab people on the sidewalk
0: and be like, "Listen, we'll give you a spinny arrow." Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, and and the work y'all do is so important. And I just thank you for this time to talk about you know the things I'm passionate about and this really. Ambitious idea, and just to celebrate each other. It's just nice. Thank you. Thank you. Hell yeah. Um, is there anything else we
0: missed, or we should ask you, or that the people should know?
1: The play will be in Spanish, but we will have English subtitles. So don't worry. It's for you.
0: It's for you.
1: It's for everybody. That's right.
0: And thank goodness, because it is a classic.
2: <laughs>
0: so thank you so much, Kathleen, for your time. So please. Everyone, go see this production. Um, It is running this July. Buy tickets at repertorio.nyc And of course, learn more about Expand the Canon at expandthecanon.com. And if
2: you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, please give us a review and subscribe to this podcast.
0: And then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleague, or a Don Juan that you know.
2: And for info on what's up next, that's also for you. You can follow us on Instagram
0: at Hedgepig Ensemble Theater,
2: Facebook
0: slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater,
2: or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org.
0: Please. <laughs> you can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below. Again, I'm Kagarin. And I'm Emily. And we've been so grateful to have Kathleen. Thank you. Yay. Please keep expanding that canon. Dun, dun. And special thanks to Lauren Bonet for editing this
1: episode.